The Tefl Commute, Season 3, Episode 5, Versus, in which we get in the ring of ELT and discuss some of the big dichotomies that exist in our profession. Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match for the heavyweight championship of the world. Are you ready? In the red corner, weighing an even 261 pounds. Sean Middleton. Heading out of the blue corner, wearing black with gold. Official weight, 217 pounds. Lindsay Clanfield. Black and blue. Versus man. Day versus night. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Right. Sean, hey. ready? I'm ready. You ready? I was away last week, so I'm, I'm back now, or last episode, rather. I'm back now, and oh boy, am I ready for this one. Oh, I bet you are. I mean, actually, it was, it was it was a real nice change talking to Kerry. It's uh, it was yeah, no. yeah, no, yeah. It's it's good to it's good to mix it up a little bit. But we're back with vengeance uh, after that intro. I'm really rearing to go. So, <laughs> yeah. but, so it, it's not really Sean versus Lindsay, though, is it? No, we should go. Oh, <laughs> it's not Sean versus Lindsay. What we're doing is to uh, in no way are we trying to ride the marketing hype on Batman versus Superman, which is coming out at this time. But we decided that it just was something that we wanted to do, a versus episode. Uh, but before we do, before we launch into the ELT side, Sean, let's just uh, go back and forth on some famous versuses, all right? I'm going to say one, then you say one, and I'll say one, and we'll keep going until we run out of ideas. Mm. So start with the one that, 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 that gave us the idea for this episode, Batman versus Superman. Uh, okay, um, then I will trump you with uh, Captain America versus Iron Man. Okay, off of the co comics now, I'll go Coke versus Pepsi. Mm, always Coke. Um, Apple versus Android. How about Mac that? versus PC. Yeah, okay, what about, oh, well, be the geek, Star Wars versus Star Trek. Oh, yeah, okay, DC versus Marvel. Oh, go back to the comics again. Uh, probably apt, given that it's been in the news in the UK with, with the death of George Martin. The Beatles versus the Rolling Stones. Oh, good one. McDonald's versus Burger King. Okay. Uh, uh, PlayStation versus Xbox. Right. Well, you can see what kind of things interest us. I'm sure other people would come up with other... That, that, really, that, that list really does reflect us, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, rather. <laughs> it's rather embarrassing, actually. Yeah. Anyway, the but, point of doing this kind of thing is that often I think we, like, not just us, but people, humans like to think of things in binaries, in black and white. So what would be, uh, we were thinking about this, what would be the big binaries, the big black and whites in ELT? And I thought we would... Uh, take a look at some of the most important versuses in our profession and say a few words about each one. So, you know, sort of like the, 
Not not really the top. Well, the most important ones, but not in any order, though. Yeah, I think. I mean, when you say not not really top ones, they're ones that often get discussed. I mean, if you're, if you're on on social media and, and in blog posts and stuff like that, and at conferences, I think I think that that's what reflects our choices, isn't it? In a, in a yeah, sense. and I think there are things that kind of keep coming back over and over again. So, if yeah. you've been in the profession for for a certain amount of years, um, you'll notice like the same fight or argument or debate over these two things comes and one seems to be winning and then it comes back again and another one seems to be winning. So, shall we start with, um, and we'll just go through each of them and say a little bit about each one and uh, maybe which one we think is currently winning in, in today's ELT climate. How does that work? Yeah, currently winning <laughs> um, yeah, with a lot of provisos perhaps, but okay. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk about in, in no particular order, though, I guess, yeah? So yeah. Do, you, do you want to do the first one? Sure. Okay, so the first one is, uh, this one I think all teachers will recognize and most uh, learners would recognize as well. And I think it's one of the oldest verses in English language teaching. And it's like, which English do we teach and which English do you want to learn or which English is easier? And I'm talking here about the big verses between British English versus American English. Sean, what do you think? Yeah, I think we've got to be. I mean, there obviously we acknowledge there are more Englishes out there, but we've just chosen we've, we've just chosen British versus American English because this often comes up in staff rooms and and in and in course books. Uh, of course, British English wins that one hands down. End of talk. I mean, oh right, you're already <laughs> starting. You're already starting. Well, I think the thing is why we chose British English versus American English. You're right. It is for for most students' minds, those are the two main kinds of English. Um, so that's what you hear students talking about. Schools tend to orient themselves one way or another. So they would yeah, that's true. have school saying we teach only British English here or American English. Exams also orient themselves one way or another. So they say, you know, was it a British English or American English exam? And course books orient themselves one way or another. Now, I do believe that, I don't know, it depends. Also, depending on the country you live in, one or the other is more popular. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's probably oversimplifying, isn't it? But like, often in Europe, you tend to fall into British English, but naturally in the Americas, like South America, Central America, as well, then you see it gravitates more towards American English, and in I mean, Asia, is and Asia, American yeah. English as well. Hey, Sean, have you ever heard students um, argue or you know really passionately that one variety is easier to understand than the other? Uh, well, the spelling rule. I've had more advanced students that would argue that the, obviously the American spelling rule, spelling rules are, are are easier. I always think I, 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 now that I'm, I live in the UK again, um, I always find it interesting the amount. I imagine this this dichotomy is 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 something that we're highlighted to, but then. In, in British English, I mean, a lot of British English speakers wouldn't realize when they're using American English or not. You know, it's yeah. so, so pervasive now. Because, well, that's true. I think in the past there would be also kind of you could do a lesson on like which are the words are the British English words and which words are the American English words. You know, you get your like truck lorry and stuff like that. But now what you in British English you say truck quite a bit as well now, don't you? Um, well, I like to say lorry, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> you, elevator you, elevator or lift? What do you oh, it's, it's definitely a lift. Okay. So is it... A, is it uh, uh, the ones that always get me are, the, are uh, because I like cooking, uh, the herbs, your herbs and your herbs, like oregano and oregano and basil and basil. Alum and, uh, aluminum and aluminium. Yeah, although you shouldn't really cook with that. It's probably not going to be much <laughs> good. But <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know if we could say which is the clear winner, although I think the days in the past where people would say... 
oh, that's not really right. I don't think that sounds right. It's probably American English. Do you think that still happens? Do you think still teachers around the world say that? When, like, you know, oh, I don't think that's correct. Maybe it's American. I used to. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, actually, I, uh, well, I would, pen, I would pin it on inexperienced teacher. Yeah. Um, and I think, because I think when you start your profession, you tend to be, you're walking into it with the language you know, aren't you? And, and the yeah. kind of, obviously the longer you teach the more you're exposed to different Englishes and different things and then you get a, a feel for it like any kind of language awareness uh, for it I, I do recall um, uh, people I'm, I mean typically on, on the on the four-week training courses Americans tripping over the use of the present perfect for example oh yeah that, that always gives me a, a sly chuckle at the back of the room um, yeah. when I'm observing them yeah. but um, um, yeah no I think that I think um, I I would say is it, I would say that in a versus, it's a good it's a good staff room um, banter kind of thing. But um, I think these days, actually, if I had to say which was winning, American English is probably the one that is. I think so too. More, probably. more user, more international. Uh, yeah. Simply, simply because because of our exposure to to American media. But um, um, yeah, that would be me. I would if I had to choose a winner, I'm going to go American. There you go. All right, let's move on to the next one. So, native speaker versus non-native speaker, Lindsay. Ooh, this is a really politically charged one. Um, we're going to have to... Yeah, I'm, I'm, just put, I'm just putting all the eggshells down. So I can't yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's start walking. Well, native speaker, let's just to explain, if for some reason someone's listening and doesn't know what this verse is about, we're talking about a native speaker of English versus the non-native speaker of English. So, Sean and I are both native speakers versus uh, teachers of English for example, I live in Spain, who are Spanish, their first language is Spanish, and they're teaching English. So, already there, we could start having an argument over what do we mean by a native speaker? Uh, yeah, so this is an interesting one. I, I mean, I think in all the verses that we're probably going to mention over, over this episode, I, this is the one that's probably the most current, would you say? The one that's... I think most, so. Over the past 20 years, I think this has become... More, and, I, more and I think, well, I actually focused. think as well over the last year, it's gained a lot of focus. I think, you know, that rightly so. Yeah. Um, because if, if I look at it from, if I look at look at it from a, a pure legal point of view from the European Union, I mean, this is... This idea that everybody in the European Union is free to work and whatever, and this idea that job adverts ask for native speakers only, I think really has has brought that back into focus. Um, uh, rightly so. Uh, it's it's a it's a strange um, it's a strange profession which which I always I've always been joking about this native speaker because when I used to teach in the Czech Republic so the native speakers were Czech surely but anyway <laughs> yes oh well that, that's true as well I think the other thing about the native versus non-native uh, speakers it doesn't just uh, touch on sort of the teachers although the teachers are the one part of it but uh, the power the books that are written the yeah. publishing the authors the speakers at conferences all of that kind of thing the voices that are heard in the profession yeah. tend to be more native speaker than versus non-native speaker I think that is changing but it is still probably it's an issue of, of power if we had to say who is winning in terms of sheer numbers well the non-native speakers, non -native speakers. I think all like they outnumber native speaker teachers uh, vastly the uh, the the another way to say this uh, versus is the nest native English speaking teacher versus the nest two n e s t non native, and I think the nests um, vastly outnumber uh, the nests 
Absolutely. I think, I think the other thing about the native speaker versus non-native speaker versus also tends to be about knowledge of language. Uh, while this is not always true, a generalization is sometimes made that the non-native speaker actually has an edge over the native speaker in knowledge of like grammar, for example, whereas the native speaker might know more colloquial or idiomatic terms, the non-native speaker will have a better grasp of the grammar and also of what difficulties learn their learners might have in learning it. Well, primarily because they've learned the language themselves. Exactly. Um, exactly. exactly. So, well, not, while I'd say numerically non-native speakers win in this versus, probably in terms of power, regretfully, I'd probably still say that native speakers uh, do get the edge in this. Also, uh, if you look at private sector language teaching, advertisements still to this day, I was reading something on Facebook where they still have, you know, require native speaker teacher or schools that sell themselves as we With only the, hire native speaker teachers. Yeah, I just it's just it's yeah. depressing, isn't it? it well, it is. I, I, I just just find it very depressing uh, from that point of view, and uh, in but. I mean, especially certainly in the private sector where the, the the native speaker has probably got four weeks training as opposed to the non-native speaker who's got a degree in teaching a language. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it is very, it, it is, it is very strange. And, and you know, it, whether you agree with uh, Theres Jenkins' theory of, uh, of English lingua franca and stuff like that, I mean, it's most likely that, that you don't need this native speaker model of, of language to, exactly. to, to get by. I exactly. Mean, it's... Uh, it's yeah, it's it's something that seems to be perpetuated unnecessarily uh, with it. Uh, well, let's move on to our next one then. Okay, so the third one, number three. Uh, this one we're back on now. Uh, let's say more methodological and less political grounds. Um, fluency versus accuracy. Sean, why don't you explain to? Are we our, talking? Uh, yeah, fluency and accuracy in, in speaking. Yeah, in language production. Let's okay. Say. All right. So, so, so explain what they mean. Well, obviously, fluent, fluency, um, being able to communicate uh, really without, I would say, would you agree, without what thinking too much, without worrying too much, just going for it, where in, in accuracy you are, uh, or as my Czech students were, um, very concerned about getting the right tense and the words into the right order. Um, yes. So which is, I think here, I, I, I could definitely come down on the side of which one I think is winning in uh, current Ooh, uh, methodology of language teaching. I would probably say fluency is winning, isn't it? And, but, but I wonder if there's a versus within that, because I wonder if um, students, and I think it depends on the students, uh, but there would be a certain group of students who would prefer accuracy. I mean, if you ask them between the two, I think. Ah, yes. I guess you would get students that would prefer, I think, in terms of methodology, in terms of like talks, conferences, methodology books, um, activity books, and course books, fluency is probably being. Yeah, but I think. Fluency is being is prized. But I actually ask students, maybe they would say, they would accuracy. say accuracy. Yeah, because I think fluency is a very, it's a very um, teacher driven thing. And I mean that by the fact that um, students often have to be, oh, you I think when you, when you begin a language course, or certainly when I begin a language course with my, my students, and we probably discuss what fluency is, and they don't understand it from that point of view, because they're very used to producing language, their own language in an accurate way within a classroom setting. Um, so teachers, 
teachers kind of have all this idea of fluency and, and think that fluency is a good idea, but the students perhaps need to be shown that way a little bit. And having been shown that, then they then they'll realise and build confidence. Yeah. But I, but um, but I, I, it, this came to me as I was speaking. Though I think that there's a there's a dichotomy within the dichotomy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, and I think also the uh, the other thing is people say that you know the pendulum swings one way and then swings the other, and maybe uh, you know there might be a push back towards accuracy eventually after the push towards fluency. Well, I guess there's still accuracy needed in, in uh, um, uh, uh, often an answer to any language question is or it depends on the context or it depends, and I think accuracy is still going to be paramount. I mean, with the, with exam students or exactly, um, uh, so say, even in, even in business communication. Yeah, Interestingly Sorry. enough, uh, I would say that accuracy would be making a comeback the more we have online automated systems for language learning. So like Duolingo or, or, or the things, other, other language learning programs and stuff would be focusing more on accuracy. They can't capture all of the fluency nuances. No, it's true. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's one of the, I mean, we've discussed this sort of, you know, in a represents, this is one of the reasons why um, technology really isn't taking over language production because it, 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 it's bound by parameters. Although looking at the growth of artificial intelligence, I'm not sure how, um, how, how long this will last given that, yeah. given that artificial intelligence has come on leaps and bounds. And I know it's an aside if you've been following the go match that's been taking place between the computer and the, yes. the human. Then, that's another versus, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Computer <laughs> versus human. Computer versus human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I think fluency. Uh, I always think fluency is is the goal, and you know, with it, um, does accuracy matter that much if you've got intelligibility? Uh, well. Shall we take a break? We're halfway through our versuses. I think it's time, maybe, for one of your games, Sean. What do you think? Oh, I like my little games. So here we go. Welcome to Timeline, the TEFL commutes on the move game for teachers. Okay, in order to play Timeline, you need to draw yourself a mental timeline. We've all used timelines in the classroom. Get the pen, draw a line. Over here on the left is usually the past. Moving towards the right, it's the future. With somewhere with a little cross or an intersection for now in the middle. So draw yourself that mental timeline now. Great, so you're almost ready to play. All you need now is the topic. And of course, today's topic is the topic of verses. Ooh! That's right, we're going to explore the verses a little bit more. At the beginning of the podcast, Sean and Lindsay talked about uh, things that were verses. So we'll look at those things and decide to, where to put them on the timeline in order of when they were formed, discovered, or invented. Okay? Ah. Ready to go? Just to be clear, so you're going to add the thing on the timeline in the year that it started, invented, and so on. So with Star Wars and Star Trek, um, you would put Star Trek on the timeline before Star Wars. If you're very accurate, you'd put Star Trek here for 1966 and Star Wars for 1977. So here we go with the other verses that uh, Lindsay and I mentioned. So let's begin with the superheroes. So Batman versus Superman. Where would you put those on the timeline and which would you put before the other one? Okay, so let's go to our, our soft drinks. And we've got Coke versus Pepsi. So are they before or after the superheroes? And then which one came first within that? Um, after our drink, we we'll probably need some food. So let's go fast food. So uh, McDonald's versus Burger King. 
Okay, so which of those came before the other one? And did they come before or after Coke and Pepsi, Superman, Batman? You got the idea? Okay, there's only four left, so uh, now is the battle of the pop group. So where would you put the Rolling Stones and the Beatles? And finally, uh, in the world of computing, we've got Apple versus Microsoft. So you should have 10 things on your timeline, and the order of which we'll find out in a moment. Just to recap those 10 things, we were looking at Superman versus Batman, Coke versus Pepsi, McDonald's versus Burger King, the Rolling Stones versus the Beatles, and Apple versus Microsoft. Okay, thinking time. Lots of potentials for a big smug prize today as there are 10 marks for getting everything in the correct order on the timeline and we could give away 10 bonus marks for each correct year. Okay, so first of all we'll go through the verses and then we'll put the timeline in the full order. So first up was Superman vs Batman and Superman came before Batman by one year. So Superman first appeared in 1938 and Batman first appeared in print in 1939. Remember the uh, source of our facts is the font of all knowledge Wikipedia so there may be some inaccuracies. On to Coke versus Pepsi. Coke is one of those things I first learnt about in a course book. So Coke versus Pepsi. Coke was uh, uh, first done in 1886 and Pepsi has a bit more checkered history but most people would say 1898. So Coke comes before Pepsi. On to the fast food, McDonald's versus Burger King. Well, Burger King was the first one there. Burger King started in 1954 with McDonald's coming one year later in 1955. On to the Battle of the Pop Groups, you've got the uh, Beatles versus the Rolling Stones. Of course, the Beatles were formed in 1960 and the Rolling Stones in 1962. Which takes us finally to our uh, computers, uh, computer companies. Um, Microsoft was 1975 and Apple was 1976. So in full timeline order, you should have Coke, Pepsi, Superman, Batman, Burger King, McDonald's, Beatles, Rolling Stones, Microsoft and Apple. And if you got all those correct, well done. And join us again in a future podcast episode for another edition of Timeline. Okay, that was interesting. How many people got that right? <laughs> I like the interesting. So you're always so dismissive of my games and my jokes, Lindsay. <laughs> they're always they're always interesting. Um, anyway, let's continue with our verses. We were halfway through. We had done British English versus American English, native speaker versus non-native speaker, fluency versus accuracy. The next one is another methodological great uh, favorite one: um, TTT versus STT. Sean, explain to our maybe one listener who doesn't know what that is. <laughs> well, TTT is always interesting because that's one of those acronyms. I mean, obviously here we're using it to mean teach talking time, but it's also test, teach, test, isn't it? In, that's in, true. In, in, task, in, teach, task. Task, yeah. So, I mean, TTT is a very useful acronym. Uh, James, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, sub-thing on TTT there for you in a, yeah. in a future terminology episode. Um, so, uh, teacher talking time uh, versus uh, student talking time, which I, uh, which I always think is oversimplified. Um, well, of course, these are all black and whites, and we all know that there are 50 shades of gray for these. But um, on teacher training courses for a long time, 
the the it was almost TTT is bad and STT is good. So uh, you could get marked down. I was marked down on one of my observed lessons when I first was trained around 20 years ago that my TTT was high uh, and that I needed to, to get more STT. Of course, there's been some pushback on that, hasn't there? there well, there has. I think, uh, well, I, I, I think with TTT, you, you have to, I, I, again, oversimplify it, but another versus is good TT versus bad TT. Um, yeah. You know, I think at times... Um, if you're engaged in a dialogue with the students or you're providing a, 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 an authentic listen, if I'm telling you a, a, a story, joke. a joke or something that's that's happened to me or, you know, um, then that, surely that's good TTT because it's authentic listening. Um, bad TTT, the, the, maybe I would define as the teacher that just loves the sound of their own voice. But um, again, yeah, uh, it, there has been pushback. Uh, what I, going back to uh, the episode, we did a couple of, a couple of ago behind the closed doors what i find frightening is that when 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 observation the, the, there are a number of observations that take place which which grade the success on the of the lesson on the ratio of ttt versus stt which i almost think is impossible to do you mean just on pure time on yeah pure just, just looking at that and, the other. you know and that's the feedback form i've seen many a feedback form where you know they're just it's being plotted and, and that actual percentage is determining the success of the lesson. So I think uh, we could safely say that it is a very current versus. It's oh, very, very much. I think, yeah, it, yeah, yeah it, it comes up. I think you, you find it all over the place. Uh, and with, in which case, who's winning this versus then? STT probably. Uh, TTT is winning in that it's probably got more. But STT in the literature is uh, like what we want. STT is what we're aiming for, although I would say TTT is making a comeback. <laughs> yes, yes. If I take, if I take good TT, then, then this idea of, of I mean, go, we'll probably we'll talk about this when we get to uh, the next one on the list, in fact. But um, but I think, t I think good TT, there's a recognition that, of that role of the teacher is making a comeback uh, in teaching, whereas, yeah. whereas, as you say, twenty years ago, maybe even ten years ago, and perhaps nearer, we, there was it was almost like the we were almost going to the silent way that the teachers just yeah, yeah, pushed yeah. everything towards towards, towards the, the students. You know, so, okay, let's go uh, on to the next one then, number five. Okay, so number five um, is one that I have to be careful on. Uh, so, dogma versus course books. Can we, God, can we? Can we cue like some really scary blood curdling scream here for me as a course book writer? <laughs> okay, so dogma versus course books. If for some reason you don't know what we're talking about, course books are what teachers take into class to teach from. And dogma was a movement started by Scott Thornbury in the late 90s, I think early 2000s, uh, then with Luke Meddings on a materials light approach to teaching. Which, amongst other things, um, you know, advocated focusing on conversation and emergent language and on reducing the number of materials. This then quickly became a versus over whether or not you teach with published materials or not. Are you a dogma teacher or a not or a, a course book dependent teacher? Uh, Which I think was completely missing the point of dogma. And, I, I, and people who know me know that I have spoken against dogma quite a lot, which is why I need to be careful. But I think that that dichotomy was missing the point. It was always like, oh, you can't use a course book. Now, they never said that. That never came out of the movement, did it? No, but it, it, it gave rise to a, a lot of that. The, the kind of discourse would tended to naturally progress to that discussion. 
you know, whether you do or not. And I don't think we want to get into a whole dogma thing. In fact, when we started this podcast, we said we would be for language teachers without talking about language teaching, and we weren't going to get into some of these big verses. So we're just going to scratch. This is, this is the third episode in the row where we've talked purely about language teaching. I know. <laughs> Notice how we're both feeling more and more uncomfortable about talking about dogma. No, as you know, dogma is great. It did a lot of good for many teachers. You know, I think lots of teachers, it almost became a sort of passage of your development to experiment with dogma or with materials free teaching, you know, and, and just using the resources and the people in the room. And I think in that case, it's been very successful. Whether or not, if we were saying which one of these two is winning, well, I know most people would, would probably say that course books are, because even though we've had now up to 20 years or 10, 15 years of dogma, it has not really slowed the, um, the, the sales or take up or use of course books. You don't see schools advocate, uh, not many schools, very few schools sort of saying we use no materials at all. Um, I'd be interested, yeah, I think there's so, I, I, I look at it in perhaps a different way. I would say that, um, using, using actually a tech term, I would say that dogma is now normalized, so we don't talk about it as much, and it's yeah. become, so it's not necessarily a verses, I think they both, so do you think both the coexist. Of all of our verses so far, do you think this one is the one that is, that is, that is the least uh, controversial now, or do you still, the thing is, is I hardly meet any people who are completely on the course books side. Even course book authors, and myself included, will have quite a bit of time for dogma at certain points. of Absolutely. I think, well, I actually do think it's calmed down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the, 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 the I think uh, if you go back a, a year or two ago, uh, there used to be, you know, almost, um, it's, um, uh, uh, what, what I call Twitter slams, in fact, you know, between... Uh, Trust me, I have the scars. <laughs> I have the scars. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, it was almost... And the same happened with, with, with technology, to a certain extent. It was, but it was almost evangelical followings of it uh, um, and that would, that would not take any dissent. And I just think now it's become... Everybody's accepted it. It's normal. Uh, we know it's got more into the mainstream of teaching, and I would say that I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily dogma versus course books, but it, it's become kind of dogma and course books. And in fact, both. Well, and you could add another versus versus self-published material, authentic material. You know, because yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's true. such a wide category now. Um, so no material or which material uh, from it, but yeah, no, I think yeah, I think to answer the question you, you you just asked me, I think yes, that this is the possibly the least versus. Although in 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 modern ELT history, it's been quite a big versus. Yes, uh, yes. Let's so. move on to I, we're coming to the end of the episode, so I think it's time to do our last one in our list. Six. So. Um, Grammar or Lexis, Lindsay? Yes. Mm. Okay, so this verse is here on whether or not what should be more emphasized in language teaching, grammar or Lexis, or vocabulary, if you like. Um, gosh, yeah, I would say there was a time when I would be, I've been utterly convinced that I would have said Lexis every single time, Lexis, 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 over grammar. Although when I started teaching, it would have been grammar first, and Lexis is what you kind of hang on it. But then I read the lexical approach, and like so many other teachers, was completely convinced by it when I first read it. And I was completely like, it's all about the chunks, guys. It's all about the chunks. But now I guess I'm sort of coming down on both sides. 
I don't know. I certainly would say that this one here is hard to say. I'd still say if you ask me which is winning in our profession, grammar or Lexus, I'd say grammar is, but not as much as it was in the past. I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna sitting so far on the fence that the poll hurts. No, um, I'm gonna go back to the go back to what I said about fluency and accuracy. Actually, I think it depends on the way you look at the way you look at it. I think many students would see that that if you said grammar or Lexus, the students would go grammar. If you said to teachers, grammar or Lexis, you'd get more teachers say Lexis. And I certainly think uh, you've got like, the work of uh, Leo and Hugh and stuff. I think the lexical approach is, is kind of finding its feet again yeah. uh, uh, and, and coming forward. Uh, uh, so and I think I think we've realised you can get by much more with Lexis than grammar these days. And I think I would say that from a teacher point of view, Lexis is winning. But maybe it's because I am secretly a lexical approach. Well, not secretly. I prefer Lexis to grammar. So yes. maybe as a teacher. I, I think the, the other thing is, you know, there's been several famous phrases uh, uttered in this verses. One is like students, when students travel, they take um, phrase books with them, not grammar books. Or uh, language is grammaticized Lexis, not lexicalized grammar. Or have I got that around the wrong way? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> I was just thinking back to, uh, just going back to, again, our, our geekdom and the fact that I guess these days, you know, that Lexis is possibly less important because you can find it on your phone. But, um, and, and these these translators that we talked about in previous in a previous episode come forward, but I think I think again course books perhaps take a more um, course books tend to take a more grammatical. Oh yes, oh, I mean well, that's for sure. As I think, if you looked in the world of course books, then grammar probably does win because there are very few that have tried to do just a purely lexical syllabus. The, and the first starting point tends to be grammar syllabus, and that's a whole other whole other kettle of fish that we could get into. Sean, I think it's time for a little bit of Facebook philosophy. Um, cal- cal- the, the angelic voice is the carbers down after all these verses. Every student can learn, just not on the same day or in the same way. George Evans. Feeling calm now? Well, the angelic voices always do it for me. The angelic voices and the man's voice who reads us. We'll have to have him on the show one time. Well, his name came up today, didn't it, actually? Yes. Well, let's keep it a secret for now, who our Facebook philosopher is. But in the meantime, let's just recap before we finish our episode here. Uh, Can you remember what our six verses that we took? Uh, Sean, what were they? Okay, so the first one we talked about, British English versus American English. Lindsay, number two? Native speaker versus non-native speaker, the most politicized of our verses, we believe. Which kind of led us into number three naturally, which was fluency versus accuracy. Yes. Another methodological versus was TTT, teacher talk time, versus STT, student talk time. And the one that we decided we perhaps isn't the versus anymore is dogma versus course books. And the last one, which is quite methodological still and we uh, yeah we, we weren't sure which one was winning so much in this was grammar versus lexis of course if you've been listening to this episode and you think we have missed out some we had a longer list they included things like IELTS versus TOEFL which we weren't these were ones that didn't make it to the final cut but um, the IWB versus the WB so which kind of brought up the whole like technology versus no technology many of you are maybe thinking why didn't we talk about that Big issue. Maybe it's worth another whole episode. 
Uh, Sean, what were some of the other ones that we were going to say? Oh, well, we, we, I think we compared course books at one point, yeah. um, which we won't mention. <laughs> yes. uh, also, I guess the idea of one-to-one -one teaching versus group teaching, which yes, is perhaps more effective. Yeah, uh, uh, and uh, certification of teaching certificates, Cambridge, Cambridge. versus yeah. Trinity, but that's getting quite specific now. None of these struck us as big as the other six verses that we went through. However, if you disagree, please leave us a note on our Facebook wall of the TEFL Commute or at our website, www.teflcommute.com, or you can just uh, shout at us on Twitter, right? Oh, yeah, although uh, shouting at us on Twitter, that doesn't sound very nice. Gen uh, gen gently poking us. Gently poking us on Twitter. <laughs> right. right, Lindsay, should we, uh, should we go away and uh, get ready for our big fight? Yes. <laughs> Let's do that. Thanks everyone for listening. Have a good weekday, month, whatever. <laughs> Bye yep. for now. Bye. As your commute is coming to an end, here's an activity you can take into class. Think of a verses, like the one that Lindsay and Sean mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Nominate a student and give them the two words as a choice. For example, Coke or Pepsi? Ask them to choose which they prefer and why. They answer and then think of another choice of two things, people or places. They nominate another student to answer. Students cannot repeat the same choices. Continue this way until all students have asked and answered. You can find the instructions for this activity at our website, tefelcommute.com. You've been listening to The Tefl Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes and by visiting us at tefelcommute.com. Watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic, watch us wreck the mic, psych!